podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every single week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me as fellow co-host Reed Lackey. Guys, Reed was here, but he said, excuse me, I have some oozing to do. And then he left. I don't know really know what that means i hope he's okay and i hope he will join us shortly while we wait on reed i would like to welcome to the show two new omega beta zeta pledges first his credentials include being my go-to killers concert buddy and the fear of god's own gory gamer hoping to cement his place in our sorority tonight it is matt murray matt welcome back to the show friend Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Absolutely. Uh, also pledging the sisterhood today is old friend of the fog, author, podcaster, beard master, last heard on our Pearl and X double feature discussion. It is J.R. Forresteros. J.R., welcome back to the show, friend. Always good to be here. Uh, really hoping I make the cut. I have a lot writing on this pledge. Yeah, yeah. You're, I think you're getting close. You know, uh, it's, it's going to be... Signs are, are are positive. Um, Matt, JR, y'all finished getting ready for the acid rain mixer while I remind listeners that here at the fear of God we explore, we do not explain, except for right now. When I explain that you can find all things foggy at the fear of God podcast.com. Things such as and especially how to support us on Patreon. More on that in a minute, because joining us is a man always ready to fight over what sequels are best. It is Reed Lackey. On page 32. Reed Lackey joined the podcast, bringing everyone down along with him. Huh? How about that? Yeah. You don't know how to I just, respond. I just watched I this movie last night, and I don't remember that <laughs> reference. So. Well, no, because I had to. No, because you called out that I had some oozing to do. Well, that's what Dewey okay, says right. because he's mm, right, he's right, confronting okay, Gale, the book. Yes, yeah, because yes. he's confronting Gail Weathers. So even look when I come on and I just say, "Hey, everybody," you're like, "Reed, you didn't follow the bit." When I come on and I do no, something with the I bit, you're it. like, "I, I love it." What you're talking you, about, <laughs> Reed? You are in the sisterhood. You just got in. You you did it right that time. I, I, I failed as your as your co-host. So my apologies there. Uh, Reed, Jr. and Matt are here. Matt, Jr. It is so good to see you guys. How are you? Hopefully we get into this pledge. It's very exciting. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Ollie is. We got some quick business to attend to before we get to our main discussions for today. One listener, if you're finding us for the first time today, welcome. And no, you've caught us at the perfect time because it is spooky season. And that can only mean one thing. We can all decorate for Halloween and pretend it actually feels like fall when it doesn't really at all. 
<laughs> okay, it can it can mean two things. It is once more time for the fear of God to cover an entire horror franchise in one series. Started last year with Halloween at Halloween as we trekked through the sordid branches of the Strode family tree. And this year, starting last week, we are covering all of the films in the Scream franchise with this series, scream ween Last week, we got to know the sleepy burg of Woodsboro in the scream heard around the world, that of 1996's titular film. Today, we will be going to college with 1997's Scream 2. Today's conversation will also feature a patron-only segment, a tradition also begun last year of Reed and I discussing an episode of The Simpsons' Treehouse of Horror installments. Another order of business worth mentioning right now uh, is that to enjoy segments like Treehouse of Horror, join Patreon. Great way to show your love for your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear. Also gets you in on exclusive bonus events like uh, the upcoming Foggoween, our annual Halloween party details, TBD. Our penultimate order of business today is also Scream related. This franchise has been part of film and horror fans lives for almost 30 years, which is crazy. And we want to hear your scream stories. Do you have a fun, poignant, or otherwise memorable story, memory, or experience related to a scream film, or just want to share what the films have meant to you? We'd love to hear about it. You can start submitting your stories today by emailing them to fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And later in the series, we'll start sharing some of those on the podcast. Last bit of business, Matt, I did not prep you for this, but you are our gory gamer. And before we get into the scream of it all, I wanted you to kind of have a chance to pitch listeners real quick on what we might should be playing now. What would you recommend, friend? Um, so the big thing on the table now is not a game I would recommend, actually. <laughs> it's a, it's what they call a lifestyle game, which means it kind of takes over your life and you kind of have to, you kind of have to factor it into your, your, uh, that does not scheduling. sound. Yeah. 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 I'm so, stressed. <laughs> I'm, I'm stressed literally yeah. just hearing you yeah. preface that. Yeah, waiting, I mean, we kind of stumbled to into it. it. Yeah, so it's uh, it's called uh, Frosthaven. It just came out this year. Uh, sequel oh, Frosthaven? To, yeah, mm-hmm. sequel to Gloomhaven, a uh, big game that came out uh, probably five, six years ago. Uh, just kind of a massive RPG kind of um, D&D style, but with, you know, actual gameplay um, involved. And it's uh, we've done three scenarios out of, uh, you know, close to, I think, about 100 and each scenario runs, uh, you know, a couple hours each, depending on how it goes. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a great time, but it's, uh, it's definitely uh, a little bit of uh, be careful what you ask for because it, uh, it, it takes over and you've got to, you've got to plan it out or else, uh, you know, things kind of fall apart. So there you go. So, so I don't recommend you, it. When you, when, when you, I of a small child. So, I was yeah. gonna say between Gloom and Frosthaven, I see those giant boxes yeah, that's the one, uh, yeah. in the various mm-hmm. game stores I go to. Yeah. So when you say it's a lifestyle game, um, that you you did not go where I sort of thought that name conjured for me. But is what you're saying is like even through your daily normal life, you're kind of like mindful of things that are no that, in the game. Like that that doesn't sound uh, mentally well. If I was to of the game all the time, no, what I, is <laughs> a lifestyle game meaning, uh, you know, you need to kind of plan around it. It's not, uh, as casual, you know, you've got to kind of set aside, mm-hmm. like we, we played three times this week so far to kind of get things moving. And so we're planning to hopefully play, you know, two to three times a, a week, uh, to kind of keep things moving, keep the momentum going. And, uh, also you take a couple weeks off and you kind of forget 
all your cars and forget what's going on, all your all your mm. special abilities and everything. So it's kind of you just want to keep up that momentum mm. going. Oh, I see. Because it's a because yeah. it's campaign based, right? So you have to yeah. you have to trek through an entire adventure. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one it, it, by the sound of it that you would not be able to complete in a single setting unless you basically sat down on a Saturday morning and said, "This is all I'm doing for the next forty eight oh. to thirty, you know, to seventy two hours I mean, weeks." Yeah, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, most people are saying about a hundred hours to complete the, the entire campaign. So you get to a point where the character you're playing retires and then you start a whole new character in the same story, but, but you have a whole new character that you're starting from square one and it just keeps. Oh my gosh. What were you there's saying? No way, there's no way it's only 100 hours. Because, like you said, there's more than 100 <laughs> scenarios. And the, yeah. I have not played one scenario yet that's lasted less than two hours. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, it, uh, yeah. So I, I, yeah. So I think 100 is, is conservative. Um, there's also a bunch of stuff in between you do and outpost events, and that can take on a whole new life. It, it, uh, crafting? <laughs> it's crafting. <laughs> they, they took Gloomhaven, which was this massive game, and somehow shoved even more massive stuff in there while keeping uh, the massiveness of Gloomhaven. And, wow. But it's great. It's you know, great. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't pine for old age. Yeah. Generally speaking. Yeah. But part of me, you know, kind of likes the idea one day of, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, the state of our world and <laughs> specifically the country all of us reside in will totally be, you know, conducive to a relaxed yeah. late age life. But uh, what I speak of specifically is the responsibilities that come at the stage of life I'm in. And just, I hear that. And I think I can't do that. I also hear that and think that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not kidding. That's not kidding. It's a bad idea to buy it Yeah, because it's so great. Yeah. Sure. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm, Cause once you buy it, you got to play it at some point. And so that's kind of my 13 year old on a whim, just like, Hey, let's, let's start this. Okay. And then all of a sudden we know, okay, now our next three months is scheduled out. Yeah. And- you're organizing your life around Frosthaven sessions. Yes. yes wow. Yes. But I wow. will. My recommendation is um, so Gloomhaven had a smaller box called Jaws the Lion, uh, which you can pick up at most mass market stores. Uh, it's at Walmart, Target. Um, so it's it's the gameplay of, of Gloomhaven, but kind of in a smaller box. It's a much shorter adventure. I think that one has about maybe twenty to twenty five scenarios. And mm. it's also a lot more uh, beginner friendly. It's got a better t- a tutorial kind of uh, to on ramp you into the, the gameplay. So if you are interested in, in kind of this kind of thing, Jaws of the Lion, I would recommend. And like I said, it should be pretty easy to find Amazon, you know, wherever wherever you get stuff. Or just, or just do go it. for it. Yeah, just go just, for it. Yeah. Life, Both life feet, short. No life jacket, <laughs> all the way into the deep end. Yep. <laughs> just go for it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> Love that energy. Um, all right, that's uh, we we receive that uh, caution and recommendation, um, and that is it for business time. Matt, Jr., do do read and I a favor, and don't wait so long to mention Empire Strikes Back. Reed and I are going to real quick dip out for a minute to discuss the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror for the patrons. We will be right back after these messages from our sponsors. That's the second part of a trilogy. It doesn't, it doesn't count. I got bullshit on that line. <laughs> I wanted, I wrote this down to talk about yeah. that.
Anyway. <laughs> wow. Wow. And now we're back. <laughs> so about this movie. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, fo- friends and foggers, we are here in the midst of Screamoween, where we are marching through as the tradition set last year with the Halloween franchise. We take spooky season and we march through a landmark franchise covering every installment on the pod, even if we have already covered an installment before. Uh, but this is the rare opportunity where we get to cover a new Scream film. Scream has been covered. The original was covered uh, back in 2017. Uh, then we eventually covered, perhaps somewhat randomly, uh, Scream 4 and uh, had Jackson Harper on for that. And then last week, we covered the original Scream, but today we are covering Scream 2. So before I kick the door down with everything, I'm going to go ahead and read the Apple iTunes summary of what Scream 2 is for those three of you who have not yet encountered this franchise, but are, in fact, listening to this show. Um, Here is what it says. Uh, These are Apple's words, okay? It says, here's the incredible follow-up to the smash hit phenomenon, Scream! Away at college, Sydney Prescott, Nev Campbell, thought she'd finally put the shocking murders that shattered her life behind her until a copycat killer begins acting out a real-life sequel. Now, as history eerily repeats itself, ambitious reporter Gail Weathers, Courtney Cox, Deputy Dewey, David Arquette, and other Scream survivors find themselves trapped in a terrifyingly clever plotline where no one is safe or beyond suspicion. Dun-dun-dun! Okay, so uh, as we venture into this conversation, Matt, Jr., I'm going to invite you each, uh, and Jr., I'm going to start with you, to just briefly share what your history is uh, with uh, the Scream franchise and specifically with Scream 2. Uh, where'd you see it? How you feel about it? All that good stuff. Yeah, so I I was I was the right age to be the target audience for this franchise. I turned mm. 16 in 1996. Uh so uh 17 you know I was 16 when this film released in theaters, right? I I was I was the kid that they wanted in the seats, right? Yeah. And uh I would also say the thing about being a 90s horror kid is all of the meta stuff was brand new. You know, no one was doing like now that's the thing. Everything is meta. Every story is commenting on itself. Like all the snakes are eating their own tails. Like it's all right. But like back then, this was this was a brand new thing. And if you were a horror fan, like you knew Wes Craven, right? We we Mm -hmm. we knew Freddie. We knew Jason. We knew Michael Myers. We knew all this stuff. So the fact that Wes Craven was doing a new slasher movie and then that it was all meta, like, I, I mean, it just it blew all of our minds. We loved it. And then. I still remember the trailer for this movie featured Randy very prominently saying sequel suck. And it was like, wah, wah, <laughs> like, like it was telling us, Hey, we know, like we know what we're doing. Hmm. Uh, so it really gave us sort of a, uh, it kind of dared us to try the movie. Right. Hmm. Because yeah, up until this point, there had not been great horror sequels. Like it was kind of understood that, um, you know, even when, like I would look at something like Friday the 13th, which like none of those movies are amazing. Right? Like <laughs> the first one famously like doesn't really even have a script, uh, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, this one uh, still manages to be smart. I think when I was messaging y'all about even coming on, I said, the great thing about the scream franchise is there's not a stinker in the bunch, you know, sure, like sure. even bad scream movies are still pretty great particularly when you compare them with like let's say friday the 13th part eight jason takes manhattan uh, which is 100 
like no. abominable, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the some of the middle of the Halloween sequels are just like awful, like barely watchable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sc- there, like there's there in that sense there there are worse Scream films, but there are not bad Scream films, sure. right? And I think yeah. that's that's quite a quite an achievement in a franchise that now has what six installments, uh, yeah. and hopefully is not slowing down. So, yeah. yeah, personally, I think Scream 2 ranks near the bottom of my ranking of Scream movies, hmm. but the Scream franchise as a whole is, I think, a high watermark in horror. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, thank you for that. Matt, what is your history with this film and with this franchise? Yeah, so Scream, uh, I was a teenager when Scream came out. I uh, didn't really watch a lot of horror movies at that point in life, but Scream was such a phenomenon and it wasn't quite very hardcore you know it's kind of got the the comedy and everything so i definitely remember watching scream even though you know horror movies weren't necessarily my thing um so then also you know watching the sequel the third one uh you know kind of stuck with them after that and uh yeah and, so, and and now you know might be one of my favorite film franchises and kind of keep up with it and rewatch it uh you know every every couple of years we'll rewatch it especially when a new movie's coming out like we had uh, the last couple of years and so uh, yeah, just have a, a great affinity for the series as a whole, and uh, and this movie, uh, you know, has the reputation of being kind of the the dud in the bunch. But uh, as Jr. said, it's still entertaining, it's still fun. Um, just maybe, uh, you know, maybe not as as sharp as uh, as the first one. That's it's so interesting, Nathan. If you don't mind, I'm going to go next. Uh, so what's so interesting about that is. I have often found, and I might be uh, in the minority in this conversation, maybe in the minority um, in in broad conversation around the Scream franchise, but until uh, some of the recent things that they've been doing with the franchise, Scream 2 ranked right up there. I still consider the first one to be superior, but I would rank Scream 2 like all the way up. It was Scream 3, which we will eventually get, you know, we'll get to next, literally. Uh, it was Scream 3 that I was always like, oh man, this this is where things kind of kind of went a little sideways. But uh, what's interesting is that I saw Scream 1 at home. I did go to the theater to see Scream 2. Every other Scream film I have seen in the theater. Um, and uh, And so it's just one of those things where when I saw this in the theater, just the energy around it, large crowd. Uh, we're all reacting to everything, which was very, very different than my experience sitting in my bedroom watching the first one. So there was a lot of energy that carried it through. I do feel uh, perhaps preemptively agreeing with some of the criticisms about this film. As I have rewatched it, I feel like most of my affection towards it. There are some things that I would applaud objectively, but I think most of my affection for it goes back to my initial experiences of watching it and just how oh yeah i remember that line man that line's so funny even though i haven't i haven't laughed at it right now but i just like oh that line's so funny and i just feel like a lot of my sentiment around really this whole franchise is tied up in those experiences of seeing them the first time revisiting that and just spending time with these characters again that i find so fun and that you don't always get the same vibe for with several other horror and slasher franchises that i think that's pretty unique to scream um nathan how do you feel about scream 2 so i mentioned last week just what a high watermark and i don't even necessarily mean substantively uh the first scream was for me i I mean it almost more just culturally you know uh jr you referenced 
all the lines in the water for you kind of converging on on this franchise for me uh <laughs> you you two guests on this will especially appreciate this analogy for for me scream was the first scream film uh the comp i made last week was it was the jesus freak jars of clay for me of horror films i didn't really i wasn't really a ccmer pre jesus freak jars of clay those two things hit like lightning and life was never the same again uh and so scream is much like that so you know what scream 2 is kind of the supernatural of of this analogy <laughs> uh still got that still is a kinda... deep cut mid 90s ccm reference. but there's there's a particular group of listeners who don't even need him to explain it <laughs> right 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 uh, it's kind of creatively interesting even if doesn't really do exactly what you know it's it's immediate so funny. Uh, predecessor does um i don't honestly remember uh in the way that scream one does i I don't remember this having as strong an impact on me with the exception of this opening teaser which i think is a still a major beat in the entire franchise um now i have to be super honest and say it gets a little commingled with its um its parody partner in scary movie <laughs> uh, which is a, a demonstrably different demonstrably different scene right that's They're what's happening now. right yeah. now yes 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 <laughs> oh my i don't oh know my. it's hand in hand but yeah i get what you're trying to say <laughs> but anyway nonetheless um I, I feel like i am one of those who have uh over the years and over the revisits had a harder time with scream 2 um read you'll you'll remember last week and and listeners uh might as well that one of the strengths of scream the first one is its bookends um that that strong opening drew barrymore bit that very strong final stew billy sort of sequence yeah for me this is for me right now uh, I think Scream 2 has a very strong opener and a pretty fair to weak ender for me. Um, and so because of that, it it kind of, uh, it just, it just, there's kind of a, a falling action the whole way through the film in terms of energy. Um, sure. And so, and so because of that, it hasn't lodged in any sort of major way uh, with the exception that you just, still kind of like these people and yes it's still spoiler alert sucks majorly when randy gets got you know uh i honestly oh, felt yeah. that one this time around more than i remember doing in many previous viewings of this one um that is but, a uh oh no sorry you go ahead yeah well we'll get into the detail the finer details more but even on this one listen cotton weary might be one of the dumbest character names in cinema <laughs> um but damn, I love Liev Schreiber, and yeah, he is in he, in a way, it had almost had never before. The scene when he confronts her in the library, and this one really stood out to me in a major way. I was like, damn, he's he's doing it right right now. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you really feel this equal empathy slash menace come radiating off that guy, and it's because the actor is so good. Well, here's um, so, what's... so anyway, my my uh, my final note here is just it's a pretty mixed bag. Uh, some pretty strong elements in a real positive way, some pretty middle of the road stuff, and then a few real 
stinky parts too. Yeah, I, I I want I want to make just a couple of comments and and I feel bad like I you know I talked to the Nathan talk now I'm talking again we we do have guests on this episode what you do, Reed. I, I promise oh hush your face but what I will say <laughs> is that um like uh, a couple of things to keep in mind uh one thing that I do think is interesting that I learned after the fact uh from having seen and everything but I I I wonder if it makes an impact is this was uh on record if not the first a very early incident of script leakage to the internet. Um, so that when they were filming Scream 2, they, like tried to, uh, <laughs> they tried to keep things very secretive, but it was one of the first major, like the, the script leaked online. And so then what they did is massively rewrote it. Like mm-hmm. I was doing a little bit of digging. They were sometimes being delivered scripts on the day of that they were going to film right then. So just, hey, quickly memorize your lines. Uh, Originally, Mickey was not the killer. Originally, Mickey was one of the victims. Uh, Originally, the killers were going to be Derek and Hallie, her boyfriend and her roommate. Um, And so, like, they changed up so much. And I wonder now, in, in in the heart of this conversation that we're talking about, I wonder if that rapid reaction to mass populace knowing what originally was supposed to happen has then created like, okay, not all the pieces fit together rather cogently. They, you know, they don't all totally work as seamlessly or as tightly as the elements of the first one did. I've wondered about that since, since learning that information. Second comment that I wanted to make very quickly is about uh, Lee Schreiber, because I will say this, God, you, you guys, I love David Arquette. I love Courtney Cox. I love Nev Campbell. Love all the people in this. I love these characters. Um, I, I, I just, I, I feel like I love Timothy Oliphant. I mean, I, I just feel like all of, I mean, hell, Aunt Jackie, from, Josh Jackson, Josh Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. With the Josh Jackson, Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> like, I love all these people in here, but two performances stand out to me that feel like they are elevated above the material and above what everybody else is doing in this film. And that's Lee Schreiber and David Warner. David Warner's in literally one scene. He's, uh, he's just in that one present, but they are approaching this with a level of sort of gravity that I don't see in the remainder of the performances. And again, these are characters that I enjoy spending time with. I saw what they could do in the first one. I see what they can do, many of them can do after the fact. But they are, again, I wonder if the nature of the production, trying to keep things secret, trying to keep uh, mass populace from finding out before the film comes out, I wonder if that had an impact on the general flavor of this whole film and if they didn't have the opportunity to make things as cohesive as maybe they could have it's just speculation on my part but um but i did i did find that kind of interesting sorry i've talked a lot uh uh, jr matt your thoughts (laughs) i i had not heard about that original script leak and i Mm. was i was just doing a little reading up on it uh while you were talking about it apparently the original plan was like you said the roommate and the boyfriend but yeah. then both cotton weary and mrs loomis were still going to be accomplices so we mm-hmm. were going to go from two killers to four killers yeah uh three of whom well i guess the the two who actually are wearing the mask who don't really have any other motive than like i guess it'd be fun to kill someone that cares about us mm-hmm. you know and then mm-hmm. having the two who have some kind of motive being well one i think cotton like he was so much more fun as a red herring, right? Yeah. Because yeah. he was he was the one that was so obvious that you're like, okay, it's so obvious it can't be him, but maybe, you know, like the <laughs> yeah. whole movie. Um, and you're right, Nathan, like his performance in the library, like walks that fine line of 
everything that happens is believable if he's innocent, but also mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense if he's not. Mm-hmm. And well, and that's this, kind and this of- is where you, 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 I'm sorry to cut you off, JR, but, but that, that scene, it just kind of reminds you too of like what the, the pitfalls of success, if we're real honest, it's like Scream One was such a massive hit. And the, the, um, the data point I saw was that it, uh, I, I want to say slasher and or maybe horror, but from a box office standpoint, uh, it held a top spot for years until David Gordon Green's Halloween in 2018, uh, which is just a huge gap in time. But where I'm going with this is, you know, you watch a scene like Cotton and Sydney in the library and you're like, now the rest of this stuff is fun. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. Like this is. And- ooh. I want to watch that, you know, that that's what I think is so interesting about Scream 2. You know, it's it's such a forgettable movie overall. Hmm. Um, Every time I rewatch it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot most of this movie even existed, Um, (laughs) which is fine because it's it's a fun movie and it it moves quick. There aren't there aren't too many places where it drags. But I think what what stands out to me over time are the ways the movie is clever. Uh, like for instance, the meta stuff where Gail talks about how the nude pictures of her that leaked online are not actually her. It's her head on Jennifer Anderson's body. And we're like, wah, wah, because they were on <laughs> friends together. Like, like that's so funny, but only in like a very particular cultural setting sure. that the movie yeah. was playing with. Right. And it's like that kind of stuff that has nothing to do with the story or the scares or the killers or any of that. But it's, it's, still such a scream thing to do mm-hmm. you know um uh, again really enjoying watching uh you know mrs loomis being the whole thing and having randy correctly identify the two killers pretty early on because he he mentions yeah. how having jason's mother be the killer in the first friday the 13th was genius and then also when they're listing suspects with dewey he's like maybe it's the film guy now it's not him because if he's a suspect i'm a suspect and then you move <laughs> on and you kind of forget that because randy dismissed it and then when the movie ends up you're like holy crap like he told us who both of the killers were mm-hmm. you know <laughs> like okay so awesome and that kind of stuff i think is is why the screen movies it's what sets them apart from all the other slashers and that stuff's still really solid in this movie. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, before we move into that ain't right, Matt, you got anything to, so my, I think my two biggest issues are one, as you mentioned, the, it doesn't really gel together, you know, kind of, uh, Billy's mom is kind of just this weird character that's just kind of in and out and you're just kind of not near sure what goes on with her and then she kind of pops up at the end and then uh and then even mickey like his motive is that he can blame the movies but that's not really a motive that's like a that's his defense but it's there's no he doesn't really explain why he's doing it just that he's gonna blame the movies and uh and then also the first movie first scream i feel like is just very timeless even though it's clearly it's set in the 90s but it's very timeless whereas this one felt hard like a 90s movie between the the music the needle drops and just the cast i mean it's very 90s whereas the first one do you, do you mean the fact that after watching it i went and added uh hints allegations and things left unsaid by collective soul to my uh you know yeah. apple music oh, yes. is that what you're oh, talking yeah. about yeah exactly. I, <laughs> dude uh i looked up the band uh and discovered because of rewatching scream 2 that they had an album that came out last year i was like oh they're still around <laughs> collective <laughs> soul like, 
Collective Soul. Yeah, their album's called Vibrating, and it's actually quite good. So, but anyway, like I, yeah. I listened to it <laughs> because I rewatched this, and I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I forgot about Collective Soul. And the the double needle drop though of Red Right Hand though is odd because I feel like the movies are kind of subtle when they use it, but this one yeah, you start up twice, and it's a little I don't know, I felt a little heavy handed with it. I don't know. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, heavy red right handed actually. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, I do feel like there's a there's a if. I, um, if I'm being generous and I can, I can definitely do that. There is a world where you're watching the growing pains in real time, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. like they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of learning what they really do have mm-hmm. and also what maybe might not work ultimately. To, so, yeah. you know, because, cause I do think as we've all sort of said, like <laughs> what just popped into my brain was X-Files and just like uh, Mulder and Scully are the, dewey gale uh sydney of the same thing it's like just suddenly you just decide to buy in because you like them. not yeah not even necessarily from go because you like love these characters or they're so well delivered and performed and written what have you it's just like okay i know now i kind of like the group the crew you know mm-hmm. uh and and just how it, it, it through kind of fits and starts um you know finds its way forward um yes you sir in the hat uh- I I think if I had to identify one thing that I think in in retrospect maybe doesn't seem like such a big deal now that we're six screen movies in, <laughs> but I think deserves just all of the accolades and uh, respect is the invention of the stab franchise. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Again, oh, yeah, now no. now that is such a well, yeah, that's part of the scream stuff, and that's why it's so brilliant and blah 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 blah. But holy cow, like it's so great. It's so good, it's so smart. Again, in the first movie, you have Sydney making a joke about Tori Spelling probably playing her, <laughs> and then they pay that off. Um, of course, that pays off even more. I mean, in in uh was it Scream Five or Scream Six, where they the guy? It's you know Ryan Johnson directed Stab Eight, and everyone hated oh, it. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah, like all that, right? I mean, like so, yeah, like but like that that becomes such an integral part of the DNA of this franchise, and yet, like, what a bananas idea to do a movie of the movie that's parodying movies already, right? I mean, it's just like, oh yeah, you. you I can imagine how some executive somewhere if they had the guts to stand up to Wes Craven saying like, you just can't do this. Like this is too much. Like you've, you've, you've jumped the shark and yet it is, it works so well. It's so smart. And it it's, yeah, it's to me, it's in retrospect. Now, again, it's just, it's part of what makes scream scream, but watching it again for this episode, I was like, man, that really was. And again, it's hard to remember when that wasn't something we all already knew about, but like, right when scream two came out that was kind of all anyone could talk about in the same way that in the first one it's that they they had the balls to kill drew barrymore in the you know Mm -hmm. the opening scene right like it's it's another one of those just like unbelievable big swings that ends up being a grand slam well and and it becomes you know what is fascinating and what i appreciate about the way we've done these franchises last year halloween and now this is is you as you sort of pick apart a bigger uh catalog um you start to see it all speaking to itself in ways that were easier to miss in isolation and to your point jr the stab element of the franchise becomes this weird mobius strip of just like 
you know, what am I even sort of comprehending right now? I don't really, okay, this is fun. You know, it's like, oh, there's Amy Teagarden, you know, she was terrible in Friday Night Lights, but here she is, you know, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so I need, no, she was I, need I need a massive chart of someone to identify which actors are actually actors in the Scream universe. You know, yeah, cause, cause yeah. like uh, Tori like Spelling Luke Wilson, Tori Spelling, Spelling yeah, and, yeah, and uh, <laughs> yes. and Kristen Bell is Kristen Bell in the stream universe because yeah. she was in the stab movies, but you know Sarah Michelle Gellar is not. You know she's yeah. right. So it's like I need to identify which Whoa. actors are actually existing in the. You stream should get on that. Universe. Yeah, you know, Stephen uh, Stephen Beck. <laughs> I mean, I'm into sure it exists somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> somebody yeah, has. I'm sure, somebody yeah, I'm has. Sure that exists, Did you know? Uh, final note on that, and then we can move on with the next segment. But the uh, that those stab movies, those stab segments in this film were directed by Robert Rodriguez. Huh. Noise. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very cool. I always loved that. And then video. inside the world of Scream, the stab yeah. shooting script leaked to the internet, and they had to rejigger. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of what went into it. Indeed, classic. Just, indeed. Yeah, Wait, in yeah. the universe did he direct it though who who directed it in universe uh you know? in uh i say that i think the name pops up but i don't know what it is okay. um maybe west but, carpenter wow <laughs> that's a deep cut scream one joke <laughs> um okay guys 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 we are we are getting real heady here you know mobius strips and meta upon meta silliness unless last we forget we're a horror show so, you know, if it's gory, if it's gross, if it causes you a fright, it is time for the part of the show that we call That Ain't Right. That ain't right, it ain't right, nothing right about it, no, it ain't right, no, it ain't right, no, that ain't right, it ain't right. It sure is telling it right, it sure is telling it right. That ain't right, that ain't right. right. That sure as hell ain't right. Okay, gentlemen, guests, um, that ain't right. You you pick, you know, if you had to pick a an in-text bit of horror, uh, a, a meta-text bit of, you know, production that's harrowing, uh, just a thing that struck you a particular way as might be called that ain't right, what would that be? Matt, I'm going to start with you, sir. Yeah, so, um, you know, overall, I feel like the kills are a little... Um, forgettable to the most part but i mean the one you can't forget about is is the knife in the ear um you know i get i get scared putting a a q-tip in there too deep and this guy's you know tickling his brain with it so whether it's a knife or you know scary movie has something else going on i mean either way you know things going into the ear you know it's not uh not good no Mm -mm. yeah Mm -mm. that's fine yeah okay (laughs) jr what would you pick you know uh I'm going to go a little bit meta. Um, I was the, I'll say it this way. The emotional impact of Randy's death did not match the brutality with which he was dispatched. Mm, mm, mm -hmm, mm. I get that they wanted to keep him, him off camera so we could get the reveal when the door is opened and they see him for the first time, but he's such a, I mean, again, I keep going back to the, uh, to scream five, where they talk about how in a sequel, none of the legacy characters are safe. Right. And this is, Mm -hmm. this is the sequel version of that, right? You've got to, you've got to kill at least one of your beloved characters from the first one. This is Randy. 
And given that he, his death was actually probably like the least uh, brutal and gory that we actually see. Mm, and yet mm -hmm. I, I just think he deserved better. If I were Jamie Kennedy and I were getting killed in a slasher movie, I would, I would want a, a more hardcore death, you know? So yeah, like justice, yeah. for, justice for Randy. Yeah. 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 And here. it's, and it's something it's fascinating because the buildup to his, it is, it is quite shocking. Like, because he's the one on the phone and it's really weird. It'd be hard for me to wrap language around this, but Every time I rewatch this film, when he takes the phone, I get this little twinge of don't, don't answer, mm -hmm. don't, don't do it. Because I just love the character so much. I mean, one of my favorite little exchanges is him and Dewey in the Baskin Robbins sitting there talking about whether or not they're suspects. And so whenever he grabs the phone, uh, it's weird for me to have this reaction as well as I know this film and as many times as I've seen it that even still I will be like, oh man, it's coming, isn't it? It's coming. But to your point, JR, it's like, a good chunk of it happened. I mean, it's a very blink and you miss it kind of when they reveal, oh yeah, he's dead. He's, you know, throats cut, gourd open, like all this different stuff, but it's on screen for maybe a second and a half, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and the rest of it is just like a van rocking back and forth. And so, yeah, I, I, I hear this you is, there, but this is, this is where I think that, and, and maybe is a little bit of what I mean by them finding their way, finding their footing, um, even though arguably three veers off the rails a bit, Scream 3. But this is a little bit where the the mix of tone betrays itself, like mm. because something like this opener is very sinister, very, very heavy. Yeah. And I think to your point, JR, the loss of Randy, who we come to love so much in the first one who is such a still wise cracking, but good hearted part of the ensemble. I, I think what you're saying, and I would agree if, if it is, is like he, he deserved better uh, in how he gets dispatched. Like the, the, the tonal sort of confusion of how that's actually delivered kind of hurts, uh, hmm. you know, because, because if he's going to go, which we can, we can, you know, we're all savvy, smart, um, you know, kind of absorbers of this material type of material. So we can recognize sometimes you got to go. Uh, it it kind of needed a bit more uh, to, to feel the weight of it as a viewer and even kind of feel the weight of it, uh, you know, in universe as well. It does yeah. kind of feel like uh, the franchise regrets uh, getting rid of him because subsequential movies kind of enter, you know, put in the Randy type. You know, uh, I can't really think of three, but for four, you've got, uh, you know, the film crew, you know, the film club. And then even with uh, five and six, you got the, the his his uh, relatives. So they kind it's of. Actually uh, can. Yeah. yeah. So it feels like. Remind, been remind us, JR. In three, it's literally a videotape that Randy yep. made just in case. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yes. right. I forgot yeah. about yep. that. Oh, no, wow. they did. To and, your point, though. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They. They absolutely, and I think what's interesting now, again, something, something I didn't in, invite you both to before we, before we started recording, but, uh, yeah, feel the freedom to comment on, on other installments in the franchise as relevant as, as I am about to do, um, is that they, um, in later installments, I feel like they almost have an allergy to killing off core characters. And I feel like it stems back to, because they probably to a degree regretted taking Randy out because they're like, well, now 
we have to substitute this element somehow. And uh, and don't get me wrong, like I love these characters. I love spending time with these characters. So it's not as if I have a thirst to see them go, but it's very apparent in three and four that like, okay, don't just just don't pull another Randy. Don't get rid of anybody else. Um, and, uh, you know, when we eventually get to five, that's that's a conversation for that point. But um, but I do feel like they then follow that on. I keep thinking about Randy when three and four goes by and you don't remove any of your OGs anymore. I mean, it, maybe the opening of three could count a little bit, but that's not that's not OG scream one original death, you know. So uh, anyway, I just find that fascinating. Um, Nathan, you want to go with your right or, or me? Um, I'll do, I'll do a heavy and then point to a light, but there's, um, there's a world where I wish some of the initial run of scream films had a little more of this, but I, I think the teaser in this film is fantastic. Uh, Hmm. but incredibly that ain't right. It is very discomforting and Hmm. unsettling and, and honestly, kind of, I, I get a little emotional during it because I feel like, um, I'm so sorry. A Will Smith joke just popped into my head about Jimmy. Oh, no. this movie and I just, I couldn't have this. Sorry, sorry. That ain't right. That oh, ain't man. Talk about ain't yeah, right. No, it isn't. <laughs> it isn't. But trying to compose myself here, like, I think, I think because of, I think the power of that sequence is, the nature of serial killer storytelling is don't find yourself alone lest you be prey. And this reverses it and says, it doesn't even matter if you're alone mm. or not. Mm. If you're in a sea of people, you can still succumb and be, be preyed upon. And, and I think, I, I think there is a chance they know what they have in that scene. So I'm not actually trying to downplay, you know, intentionality here, but I think that scene um, it reminds me a little bit of what I sort of got uh, and definitely wanted seeing marketing for Scream 6, which is Halloween on the subway. Everyone's in a ghost face mask or, or made up and lots of ghost face masks around. I'm like, that's terrifying when you're, although switching it back to Scream 2, what's what's even more unsettling and disconcerting about the scream two version is she has no reason to think she's actually in peril, you know, in, in, in scream right, six, that's different. Right. And so it's just so wrenching, uh, to watch this character kind of be, be taken out the way she is. And it, and it anyway, so, so for me, uh, topmost that ain't right is going to be that whole opening sequence. Um, if I had to point to another one that's that's honestly a bit more of a, a production slash meta that ain't right, it's uh and and may speak to the things we keep referring to of the a bit of a beleaguered production um experience is is the cops. And um <laughs> and like watching it this time, you know, I'm sure I noticed this before, but but in a way I hadn't before. Uh the scene of Hallie and sitting in the back of the car and one of them says, Where are you taking us? And a police officer charged with protecting these people who are being pursued and preyed upon and sought after by a killer turns around and says, if we tell you, we'd have to kill you. They chuckle about it. And then another one randomly says, don't ask, don't tell. Like, what? (laughs) 
honestly, it's a bit more of an indictment of the script in that moment uh, than some random characters. They're they're pretty inconsequential, but it's it's a very strange thing to leave in the film, and and you almost feel like, well, we have to have them in the cop car because of the set piece that's coming. We don't have another cut without this. Eh, okay, you know, like that's a little sure. bit how it feels to me in that scene. Uh, um, do you think that that is? Do you think that that is the way we watch police coded post BLM? Um, I, I don't, I didn't feel that way as in, uh, you know, my sort of, uh, suspicion or sort of feelings around police officers in general. It was, it was even just trying to envision the true nature of the scene, which is, yeah, you know, they're being shuttled elsewhere because they're under threat. And then the cops literally taunting them. I, I don't know. I mean, there, there so may be some veracity to what you're saying. Yeah. I guess I didn't read it as taunt as much as them trying to make jokes to make them feel better. And, mm. and what I ultimately read out of it was the police not feeling as though they were in danger. Like you're safe. You're with oh. the cops. Mm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So, so while I agree with yes. you that the joke yeah. was in very bad taste it's because i felt that they were in danger mm. whereas mm. again i think if if the police officers like like they were like yeah you're with the cops you're in the cop car like we're the two best detectives on the force literally <laughs> was said like literally was said earlier in the you know in the film right like yeah i guess that's how i read it um though i don't well, I, I can I, I can receive that i think for me uh, it doesn't um and I, I can be sympathetic to that angle I still think it's a, for me, it's a pretty confused moment, just kind of textually. It's like, okay, yeah. what is actually going on here? I don't have enough of a read on these two guys as characters at all to, That's a great compre- point. to yeah. comprehend that they would have a point of view. To, and to, I think, to- and I think Nathan, you, you uh, might've maybe on purpose, maybe accidentally stumbled into, I think the film is constantly because the first one was a big shock reveal of who the real killers were, I think Scream 2 sometimes overplays its hand on, yeah, oh, you don't, yeah. maybe they are the killers. You don't know. And I think there's maybe trying to implement a flavor of anybody could be the killers. It could be anybody. And uh, and what's interesting about no, this. I can, I can see that. Yeah. My, my wife uh, watch, watches all these films as well. She doesn't broadly watch horror, but she does really love the, the Scream franchise. And uh, she's, she has told me, I hope I'm remembering correctly, she's told me that when she saw this for the first time, she called the killer exactly. And the reason she called the killer was because she knew like they, they didn't hire Lori Metcalf for no reason. <laughs> like they're just yeah. they're like she she's she's it is kind of a sore thumb. Yeah. 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 But um, but I feel like the film is constantly trying to do this dance where it wants to divert. Like it even, you know, when it plays around with is Derek a, a cohort of Mickey or not? And then, you know, we can maybe dive into a little bit of this if we want to, but I feel like it's constantly even overplaying its hand on whether or not these people are really working together or not. Um, and, uh, and, and that rhythm is, is constant. So I think that's, that's also an element of the cop scene. I, one thing that I will say for my, that ain't right. Uh, that almost plays. And I'll mention one brief jokey one. Uh, but my, that ain't right is almost my, that's so right. I will say this. This is for me. This is Reed talking. Uh, I can't, can't speak for broader 
culture or for you know fans of horror films writ large but to me uh one of the top five maybe top three favorite scenes in this entire franchise conceptually is when sydney and Haley have to climb over the <laughs> knocked out ghost face and they've got to get out of the car just as a concept and i think the way that the scene actually plays out but just as a concept of like oh my god if this guy comes to while i'm doing this i think it's really very uh chilling as a moment and it's one of my like i said it, it, it i'm citing it as an ain't right but almost would be a that's so right for me yeah go ahead jr i i agree with you up until the moment when my brain goes sis that cop's got a gun pull it out and shoot him <laughs> like then <laughs> yeah. crawl out boom yes, yes right yes, yes. Take, take his knife and stab him in the throat um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like and and it, and initially i was like oh yeah well maybe sydney is like trying not to be a killer blah 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 whatever nope we get back to that final scene and she has, she has no, no problem <laughs> so i <laughs> no was just qualms. like okay well again like especially when at the end she she you know shoots uh mrs loomis in the head and is like just in case yeah know? i'm like where oh, yeah. was where was this in the police car <laughs> <laughs> indeed no, that, is a really, that is a really really good point um the the other joke is somewhat more jokey that ain't right that i would cite is listen y'all here's the deal um Maybe it was maybe it was a choice. <laughs> maybe there was some weirdness going on. I don't know. I love love Timothy Oliphant. Love him. Uh, loved him in Deadwood. Uh, loved him in Santa Clarita Diet. Uh, what I have seen of Justified is really strong. I love the man. But he is playing for the cheap seats in the final <laughs> scene in a way that I'm like, what in the ever-loving my god, who are you talking to? There's some moments where I'm like, why'd you turn around? Why did you? Why are you staring up at the ceiling while you're saying this? He's made the weirdest blocking, the weirdest line readings, the overabundance of exuberance that he delivers, and I'm just like, man, it is a choice, but I, I, I don't quite wrap my head around it. You know, but he's supposed to be the stew killer, right? Yes. So there's yeah, yeah, there's yeah. always yeah. like when there's two, there's always mm-hmm. like the serious one that has some sort of relational sure. uh, connection to Sydney, and then there's the other one, <laughs> the outlandish <laughs> one. Yes. And I mean, it sounds like most of us are old enough to remember the '90s. Uh, you know, Columbine was April of '99, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so all this came out in '97. So mm-hmm. when he's going on his big thing about how we're gonna blame, you know, we're gonna blame the video games and the movies, and he's listing off all the yeah. people that are gonna be on his side, like that was like that was all anyone over the age of thirty five could talk about was yeah, how all of these movies, you know. So I, I do think that was a re- and that was in the text of the script, right? I mean, from the sure, beginning sure. where they're saying, oh, are they get, you know, Gail's like worrying that they're going to pull the film and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a little like the satanic panic of the eighties where like, now we're mm. like, no, not people like you're exaggerating how, how crazy people went. And we're like, no, we're sure not at all. Like it was, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. and I, well, I mean, again, I, I think, but it, I think, go ahead, Jay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I was just well, saying, I think it hit its peak at Columbine, but it mm, mm-hmm. it was around before that too. Sure, sure. But I, but I correct me if I'm wrong. I think I think maybe what you're identifying though is less, you know, text of film, more performance. And whereas I I totally see you know the the comps of Stu and Billy from a personality standpoint. What I don't see, 
And here's the thing. What's fascinating about Matthew Lillard is originally um, I would have been pretty turned off to his performance style uh, in the <laughs> early, early parts of the first Scream film, except that by the end, I'm so bought in. I was like, man, he, he is, he has gone, he has taken his five uh, on a scale of five to uh, one to 10. And, and as the movie progresses, it gets to a six, it gets to a seven yeah. and then suddenly it's plateaus. And then it goes for a 10 and an 11. Right. You know, it, whereas, yeah. whereas Oliphant, he's at kind of a two the whole time. And then suddenly he's at a 10. You're right. <laughs> so, that's a good, that's know, a really good point. Do you know what, but do you know what Matthew what? Lillard reminds me of in that moment is, and I, I love this man so much. Everything I hear about him just makes me love him more, but Conan O'Brien. So Conan mm. O'Brien commits so hard to every bit that if the bit is not working, his reaction to it not working is, I am going to commit harder. Oh, it's yeah. It's not working. Yeah. I'm going to keep committing. And then he literally wills it into working by committing so hard to it. And I feel like Matthew Lillard does that with Stu. It's like, this is weird and 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 sort of offbeat but he never ever lowers the volume on it Blinks. in such no. a way that it's just like okay he has he has willed this thing into being a real flesh and blood character as a result that's uh, anyway and that's you compare how much screen time he gets to uh Oliphant's character and it's sure. night and day right Oliphant's in like the film class scene and then he's like he like pops in in a couple of other scenes for one or two it. lines of dialogue to remind you that he exists, you know, <laughs> right. basically. Right. Yes. Yes. That's basically right. Ah, um, remember me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gentlemen, did you squirm? Did you wince? Did you squint your eyes real tight? It was probably because of what we around here call everybody now. That ain't right. Right. <laughs> sure as hell ain't right <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well all listen. right i got a I got a bone to pick oh with this here movie. we go a bone and uh you know i love randy meeks you know for for the film expert i'm not on board with his empire take that <laughs> it somehow <laughs> is excluded from the conversation what's really funny y'all about this point i'm not even totally jokingly trying to make is rewatching it this time that early scene when they're talking sequels i was like why the hell are they not mentioned empire i'd forgotten you know mm. kind of that thread <laughs> and then the scene ends and i was like really this movie's smarter than that right to not include this <laughs> so then when they name check it later it's like okay well there it is you know oliphant mentions it and then randy brushes it aside as like oh part of a trilogy it's like no no that doesn't that doesn't exclude it from the conversation here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just uh that's you know, maybe that's a residual that ain't right. Uh but I get it. You know, that's that's what well, I gotta say. I just I just wanna come back to that and say uh there is a sense in which Empire is not a complete film. That is true. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. I, okay, that's no. fair. So but I, I okay, I get in a lot of trouble for this take, but I'll just go ahead and throw it out there. I think there's a difference between a true honest to goodness trilogy mm -hmm. and then a series of films that are like, so I would say something like um, back to the future, I think is, is a, is a pure trilogy. Mm. Each, each film has its beginning, middle, its end. And you, you can almost treat the end of two as like a teaser for the next one. Sure. Yeah. Um, but they all, they all have a, you know, something that's resolved, whatever. Then you have something like Lord of the Rings, which is literally just one giant movie 
Right. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Arbitrarily yep. cut up into three parts because they don't even end where mm-hmm. all three of the books end. Right. Sure. Like, right. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, I think I think Star Wars is somewhere in the middle of that because one is certainly its own self-contained, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we still have the Empire to contend with, but our immediate, you know, character arcs and everything are resolved. Whereas then sort of Empire and Jedi are almost like an extended part two. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. W- which I'm not mad at uh, Matrix. So when, sure. when someone tells me they're like, you know what? I I liked the second Matrix movie, but I thought the third one was dumb. I'm like, <laughs> how can you have different opinions about those two movies? They're literally one story cut in half. Like, yeah. I don't understand. Yes. Like, like them both or hate them both, whatever. But people who are like, oh, sure. I love two and hated three or vice versa. I'm like, how? Like, how? How? How does your brain do that? I don't sure. understand how you do that, huh. you know, because you have to change DVDs or, you know, start <laughs> the stream. Like, I don't, you know, um, <laughs> so yeah, this I, is what I, I was I'm, hoping for. Yes. Yeah. I guess I'm saying like, I, w- I'm more comfortable with just saying like, yeah, there are a couple of sequels that are better than the originals, but as a whole, we think sequels suck. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. I also don't yeah, like the no, rules. I'm that- not, I'm not quibbling with that argument. I'm just saying, you know, Empire's better. Is that dismiss. what you want us to say? Oh, okay. Yeah, not to dismiss. Well, I'm, Empire's I'm saying you can't dismiss it as some sort of non-sequel from a conversation about, you know, there there sequels. is there is one thing though, and I I actually agree with you. But if we're hovering on the Empire Strikes Back, there is there is an argument to be made, a a film critic argument to be made that despite many things it does very very well, even maybe better than Star Wars. That because you wouldn't have Empire without Star Wars and everything that Star Wars did, there, there are there are a wide wide swath of people that still consider A New Hope to be the superior film. That like it is it is pound for pound or objectively better than Empire Strikes Back. That doesn't take Randy's argument that it's dismissible because sure. it's part of a trilogy uh, very seriously. But um, but uh, I would yeah, agree I, that A New Hope is a more to Jr's point a more complete story mm-hmm. uh but i don't know man i just watched him the other day and i'm like this is a damn good movie <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, listen, it's great no 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 i totally get it i totally what get it what bothers me more is is mickey doesn't correct Haley about the ewoks being in return of the jedi and not oh yeah that too it's like what yes okay <laughs> yes that just doesn't get yes clearly kevin okay. williamson did not was not a star wars fan no. <laughs> he just somebody or, told him or scream 2 came out before the internet was fully the internet and ah. you could do things like that in your movie and it did not affect your opening weekend. <laughs> that is a very, very good point. That is a very, very good point. Um, what I do find that's interesting about uh, this film and maybe, you know, maybe touch on this for like a few minutes and 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 then uh, move into our final segments and, and wind our way down. Um, I do find it's interesting. What stood out to me this time around is theatricality. And what I mean by that is is performance as a subject performance as a theme which is something that i i will need to rewatch scream 3 with this same lens to see how it plays around with it because scream 3 takes place the narrative takes place entirely on movie sets so i'm sure that this kind of carries over but the theatricality and the uh the ways people are pretending to be something they're not but how those bleed over top of each other i'm thinking specifically of the scene where sydney is they're playing Cassandra in a very strangely staged uh, uh, <laughs> great, oh, yeah. great tragedy. And as she's playing this part, then it, you know, real world kind of overlays with it. And I did find that interesting in the sense that, like, 
people in this film, Debbie Salt pretending to be somebody else, uh, you know, Mickey saying he's going to blame the movies, uh, just the idea of we're going to perform a role that we're supposed to, even in, in more subtle ways, like them trying to get into the good graces of the, of the fraternity, the, the, the sorority so that they can, you know, uh, they, they have to be a certain thing. They have to perform a certain thing. This is also the film, like JR mentioned earlier, this is the film that introduces stab as a, you know, performance of the performance. And, and that I found that interesting um, because uh, to go back to the old Chris Rock joke about how you don't really meet a person, you meet their representative. I just found it interesting that this film also, in a way that it's probably not as smart as it wants to be about other subjects or that it is about other subjects, uh, the film is playing with this idea. And where I'll end my statements about it is it it crystallizes in Cotton Weary. And the fact that Cotton Weary when they even ask him to comment on a thing at the end, and this is what solidified it for me, when they ask him to even comment on a thing, he's just like, well, you know what? There is a time and a place and indeed a price uh, for everything. And so it's like, it really just stood out to me in, and probably because in this world in which we live, so much of that, uh, are you being the persona, the authentic, are you being the genuine, or are you being a performance? Are you being... You know, are you are you being an affectation right now? And it stood out to me that this film, I will call it accidentally ahead of its time in the way that it has all kinds of little finger points to performance of a thing as opposed to being the real version of yourself. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't mean you're a killer like Cotton Weary, but he is absolutely y'all y'all catch that line where he was just like, I've got a really good thing going on on with a nine hundred number right right now. Um yeah. you know, I just it's it it was just interesting to me. I've 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 prattled it to death, but I found that idea and that concept interesting and it stood out to me, I swear to God, very first time about this film as I was viewing it this time around. But I did find it really interesting. I don't know if that resonates or I I guess about that or about anything else. Yeah. Go ahead, Jer. Oh, I, I think one of the things that really stuck out to me this most recent time I rewatched it was how rich most of the characters are, um, mm. you know, particularly Gail and Dewey and that relationship continue to grow and to expand. Like we yeah. have a lot of time dedicated to those relationships, which again, six screen movies in we're like, well, yeah, duh, it's Gail and Dewey. Right. But again, to go back to like when we're leaving off with Scream One, like if neither of them had been in this movie, it would have been fine. Sure. Right. right. Like, uh, yeah. and, and so the idea to kind of create a core three, uh, to, to presage the core four of the, of the later <laughs> installments, right? Sure. Um, again, worked really well. But even, I would even, you know, we, we bemoaned the police officer's lack of personalities, which is true. But like even Mrs. Loomis's fake, reporter that she conjures to get close yes. to gail like we felt like we knew a good bit about her and her personality and stuff for it all turned out to be fake right but like mm -hmm. a good bit of time was given over to that that we didn't necessarily need um or uh, plenty of other slasher films don't bother with uh, let me say it sure. that way right and i think it makes these films all all the better you know that we have all mm -hmm. of these characters who are side characters who uh, still have a little bit of meat on their bones you know yeah no, I think, and I think that's pretty unique to the Scream franchise. I can't think of another long-running franchise. Plenty of them have callbacks, and and 
the the one glaring exception though very very recent is you know the the david gordon green halloween trilogy can't be ignored for that kind of thing um but but i think that is a, a recent and unique animal prior to this scream was the only game in town that was doing what you're describing jr where mm-hmm. it's like yeah we're, we're building a troop of people yeah. that you're going to spend time with by coming back here well and and your your meditations on cotton or what kind of triggered that remembrance for me it's like well yeah cotton's another one that like again a hundred ways you could have taken this but pulling Mm -hmm. him in ultimately for a plot that was entirely a red herring right like he was just there for us to be to have as a suspect and yet we got so much time dedicated and we got that wonderful scene in the library nathan that you've referenced a couple of times right that's just really again a high watermark in the film uh all of that for a character who who ultimately did not need i'm using air quotes need to be in the script uh, to get to the end of the movie you know yeah, no, ab- absolutely, absolutely. Uh, read your. Oh yeah, go ahead, Nathan. I'm sorry. Um, read your. You're forcing me to assign more weight to this movie than I think it naturally has, but <laughs> that's a positive for both you and it. Um, <laughs> and I wonder if you know so, some interesting threads developed over our Halloween conversations last year that that you start to see across across that canon, uh, and you know, for me at least. I, I feel like uh, continued conversations about similar things do- doesn't actually yield redundance. It it yields clarity. And, and so, you know, you're talking about the performative nature of this and of that conceit and something that has come up before you made a reference to it last week of how scream is unique as a franchise because it isn't a singular individual or entity that, 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 that marches through it uh it's it's kind of anyone and mm-hmm. what what kind of comes to mind and then i'm gonna do the dark mirror version of it is you know i love to my bones and we did a b-side on its sequel but spider versus anyone can wear the mask sort of mm. take well in that franchise or at least in that film that's meant to be a a a you know, rise to action, a call to action, a, you can be heroic. If you so choose, you can put on a thing signaling and symbolizing heroism. Well, the dark mirror version of that in screen that you're, you're kind of calling forth for me is like, everyone is wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. Yes. Nothing is trustworthy. And in fact, if this franchise succumbs to any pitfalls, it's, the paper thin nature of, Hey, to your point, JR, let me just populate a script with characters who, who I'm going to F with you the whole movie. This is the the kind of conscience of the movie or the consciousness of the movie talking. I'm going to mess around with you the whole movie of who is or isn't uh, going to be a killer. And what that means in, you know, kind of syndrome language, everyone is right. Like mm-hmm. they, they, they are both all killers, everyone in the script and none are, until we just kind of decide who is um sure. and so the that's kind of the cynical side of this franchise not as in the movie's trying to be cynical or the franchise trying to be cynical but that's that's kind of the scary heartbeat of it is yeah. man it, it's it's jada alone in that theater at the beginning of the movie even mm-hmm. though she's surrounded by everyone but yeah. no one is is living truthfully in that moment and that's yeah. kind of the the fear of this masked kind of idea uh, that that walks through this franchise. And, and I think you feel that when 
uh, Sydney's boyfriend uh, rushes into the house when she's attacked. Yeah. And he even is bleeding from his arm, uh, a relatively deep wound. But again, we saw Billy and Stu stab each other in the first one as part of the plan. And so we see like we are with Sydney saying, no, Sydney, you can't trust anyone. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think even like, again, it's hard for me to remember because Dewey is now Dewey in my mind. He's not just Dewey showing back up in screen two, but you know, he's got the, he's got the arm and the limp from his attacks in the first movie, but he yeah. tells Gail, you know, how do you know I'm not just faking? And mm-hmm. so like, mm-hmm. I, there's even like a, wow, can we even trust Dewey in screen two? You know, yeah. like we think we can, but there's always like, just that little bit of doubt. And so Sydney is that character that feels what you were describing, that isolation that I'm surrounded yeah. by people and yet I can't trust anyone kind of, you know, it, 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 it felt really claustrophobic to me in a way. I don't think I had clocked until this most recent watch. See, that's what, that's what's fast. And you just hit on another one. It, I feel like that's all over this movie and the way that it resonated with me this time is the way everybody else is not only being performative themselves. Oh my God. It's, it's funny. But when, uh, the, the scene before Randy bites it and then Gail answers the phone and then it's like, who is this Gail Weathers, author of the Woodsboro murders, you know, like it's so rote for her to just like throw that out. But what that does is it creates an erosion of trust because if we know, like if I knew on this conversation, I'm not really, free to be myself i'm being a version of myself to elicit reactions or to elicit responses or something like that when we do that i have a a thesis that what that actually does is engenders distrust in everybody around me because if i'm not free or being my authentic self then certainly everybody else has some agenda certainly everybody else has some sort of subversion that i can't really trust that what I'm receiving from them is is true and authentic. And I find that fascinating given things we don't need to get all into, but given the culture and climate of 2023, I find that fascinating in this really like slickly paced kind of bouncy slasher that that those that subtext is there. Um, like that's why I called it accidental. Um Matt, I feel like I've I've charged off at the mouth and not given you much chance to interject. So so before we probably head into other waters, you got anything to add or any other notes to make? Uh, yeah, one note on uh, not trusting the boyfriend. I think they made a very deliberate choice of him being shot bare chested, so that there's no there's no hiding the fact that he he was shot. No, this oh, is yes. not, uh, you know, uh, this is not any kind of subterfuge. This this dude was uh, was really shot. So uh, mm-hmm. no, the biggest thing for me. Um, a credit and discredit to the movie is I feel like there's two big uh, ideas that are introduced in that first um, in the first scene that aren't really explored. One being um, the exploitation of real life crimes uh, for entertainment purposes, which is still yes. relevant today with the true crime, uh, you know, true crime podcast, documentaries, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they kind of touch on it, but it's, it's really not explored where I think it's a, a really big idea. And then two, um, just the race aspect, uh, you know, about uh, black people in horror movies, which, uh, you know, they point out, but at the same time, you can point it out, but you can also still follow that trope by, uh, you know, the, the black characters, two black characters are killed in the first scene. Um, her black best friend is killed pretty unceremoniously. And then the cameraman is kind of 
there. Yeah. You know, that's about it. So just because you say, you know, you point out the, the issue doesn't mean that you can, it gives you a pass to, to repeat the crime. Um, yeah. and it, but I am glad that, um, on the race aspect, we are in a different place in 2023 with more representation, uh, with Jordan Peele and, and, uh, you know, it seems like there's a lot more, um, a lot more diversity in, in the horror genre nowadays, which was nice. I want to make a prophecy right Ooh. here, live on the fear of God. Heard it, heard it here first. Heard it riffing here first. off of, uh, Matt. Um, so I'm sure we all know that Matthew Lillard has made uh, a lot of noise about being willing to come back as Stu. Mm-hmm. because again we never actually have Stu's death confirmed i think at any point in the franchise so far no um, not and and so much like kirby came back in scream six i think it would be really interesting if uh a a scream film that comes out in the new near future really goes after the true crime angle and does something mm-hmm. something akin to serial with uh uh, you know, we have Stu in prison and maybe is he there unjustly or for too long or too harsh a sentence or something like that, Ooh. you know, and like a, almost like a revisiting of the of the original or something. I don't know, whatever. Like it's it is just interesting, right? Like mm-hmm. that I was I was thinking the same thing as you, Matt, as I was watching it this time. I was like, man, like this is about 20 years too early for the true right. crime boom. But like mm-hmm. it's it's got it's got it all over it, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, why why wouldn't this become one of those things that gets revisited in in some podcast, you know, or something like that. And I thought about, you know, how many people did, I mean, did y'all see that in this last year, there were a ton of Jeffrey Dahmer Halloween costumes? Yes. Because yes, the Netflix Dahmer thing had come. Right. I mean, yes. it's like, what? Like, it's really so, wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it made, it made the scream ghost face stuff seem a little less, Cause like, it's fun when it's in a movie and you're like, oh yeah, the people dressing up mm-hmm. in the costume of the killer and blah. But like, when you take a step back, you're like, but wait, this is all supposed to have really happened. Like that's yeah. pretty messed up. People don't dress up like serial killers. And I was like, oh no, J- JK. Yes, they do. Yeah. Th- just, that's just kidding. folks. <laughs> I, I, I commented on our last episode. You guys haven't had a chance to hear the episode, but I commented on our last episode about how actually watching these kind of slashers makes me, makes me individually more sensitive to things like true crime. This is going to sound like a really silly example, but it's exactly what, like what you're talking about, JR, with like the fact that there are Jeffrey Dahmer costumes. Like, I, I'm just going to be real, real. I, I try very hard not to pass judgment on anybody. So I don't want any listener feeling like profoundly offended, but. I find the the concept to be offensive. I'm just going to call it what it is. I find the concept of like, I'm going to dress up like a real version of this instead of a fantasy version of this. I had an experience when I was walking around with uh, my son. We always check out board games at Walmart or Best Buy or wherever we are. And I walked over there and there is a freaking board game. This is so weird to me. There's a board game of the movie Titanic. Now, the layers (laughs) that you get to the fact of like, my God, over a hundred years later. It's a later, lifestyle game, by the way. <laughs> basically. <laughs> and it's like, style. like, Mike, like, literally, we are so far removed from this that we are going to play a game. Now, it's one thing. I've got, I've got the game Final Girl in my house. I play it. I love it. It's fantasy. It's pure fantasy. But Titanic really happened. And we're going to sit down and we're going to play this game about this thing because they made a movie about it and everything. And so then, yeah, to the, to your point, like dressing up like Jeffrey Dahmer, I'm like, that's like, <laughs> please don't move too far down that road. Well, I'm not really willing to go there. 
yeah i don't know if you looked at it randomly i just happened to know a little bit about that game because i saw it uh when it was uh released amongst some other things that maybe even matt sent me but when you open the box it's just a sketch pad and some pencils you know and it's like (laughs) draw me read you know that is a game i want to play I B Y O F G. Bring your own French girl. <laughs> Man. Oh. Oh. I, think, anyway. I think what you said, Reed, is is the key, right? It's distance. Um, there's a there's a party game called Secret Hitler, which wow. uh, is wow. Are, what, y'all don't know about Secret Hitler? I do not. Sorry. No, no. Uh, I, not. I am so pure of heart. It's uh uh Avalon. Have y'all played Avalon? I have no. not played that. No, you okay. two are are unquestionably yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the certified gamers. No, this of the, of the group. this is a game I heard about from my friends who are not board gamers. Uh, it's it's one wow. of those that I think for uh, for about five minutes or so was everywhere, and then people were like, "Wait, it's about Hitler!" Um, mm-hmm. Wow, it's a hidden identity game, and in theory, you're trying to not get not let Hitler get elected chancellor of Germany, but someone plays as Hitler, and the fascists are all secret fascists, and it's a I mean, oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to say, listen, okay, sorry. You can at me. I apologize for this. It is a really fun game. Hey, um, I, don't doubt I it. knew that's what I don't doubt it. to say. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those games that is so fun. You're able to excuse. I think how problematic it is. Um, sure. Sure. Without too yeah. much effort. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I think this is my point, right? We are, we are almost past living memory of the Holocaust. Indeed. Um, Indeed. the, 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 the youngest Holocaust survivors are in their late nineties, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's, there's, there's a rush to preserve their stories and like record them and that kind of stuff. Um, same with Dahmer, right? Like, uh, I think, I don't know that any of us were born when he was arrested. Um, I was, I remembered, I remembered hearing about it and because the reason I remembered hearing about it is because for my little subset of things, it was rooted in, uh, additional satanic panic stuff even though that was not oh, okay. part of jeffrey dahmer's real story um but it i guess was yeah part- was he arrested in the mid 80s yes. maybe i'm thinking yeah, yeah, okay yeah. Never so we were all 91 oh, oh not until 91? 91 yeah i okay, thought so it was late we were all around but, yeah we were yeah. all around but i think like t- here's the other here's the other thing so I'll, I'll make two statements in quick succession and then we you know we can we can move on if we want i'm to. wrong i'm wrong i'm checking myself real real quick it looks like okay. you got arrested a bunch of times i just didn't want somebody to be like nathan you're so wrong i watched dahmer uh wow or everything i said about jeffrey Dahmer. okay know, sorry we're not experts on jeffrey Dahmer. yeah I just, that's not I, my... I just got the halloween costume i don't know much beyond <laughs> go put your costumes back on and put your us. costume away <laughs> um and and don't get me wrong like i bet i say this with a full heart i bet if I, if i was playing avalon like to your point about distance i would probably have a really fun time like I'm, I don't doubt that if I if I got over my mental bridge uh, on the Titanic game, maybe that's a very fun game. I play lots of similar s- sorts of types of uh, uh, mechanics games. But here's what I think is is worth maybe noting is that I think we should be mindful of the distance from tragedy and its effect on us to desensitize us to this because we have all of these other situations that we're just too far removed from like people forget how how recent things like the civil rights movement or how recent things like you know the civil war or whatever but with the, but there's just enough distance from those things that we can begin to trivialize them even yeah. dare i say treat them like a game when they still for certain people have real world consequences i f- i find that subject fascinating i think it's a moral conversation probably too rich for us to to really solve right now um 
But it is one of those things where it's just like, yeah, like if we are not mindful of the distance that permits trivialities to tragedy, then we uh, we find ourselves genuinely trivializing the real world peril of other people um, because we're just we're too far away from it. Um, anyway, that's I've made my point. Yeah, go ahead. So speaking of all of that. Did y'all ever hear the original plan for Scream 6 when Nev Campbell was going to come back? I didn't. No, I always I was curious about that. If you know it, I'm uh, curi- very curious to hear it. Well, the, the the one little detail was that they were going to have her husband because it's revealed in Scream 5 that she's married, right? Um they were going to they were going to have her husband be one of the maybe maybe he's a killer. And mm. then they were going to decisively show, I guess, in the script that he was not and that he's a good, trustworthy guy. And she made a good choice and she gets her happy ending. It was going to oh, be like okay. sort of the way of okay. like saying like, but again, I think Sydney is the the heartbeat of this franchise in that way that you see all of these other people doing exactly what you were just talking about, trivializing, yeah. turning it into a movie, dressing up as Ghostface, having fun with it. And sure. you see how she can't do that. You mm. see how mm. you see how she carries the trauma, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and how she Deeply. how she relives it. You know, I, again, in Scream 3, when she's, you know, in hiding, has changed her name and is working as a helpline for domestic violence. Right. Like, yeah, you see how she's trying to to live with. And I think I don't know. I think that's, again, a way the franchise sort of is able to get away with having the stab movies, but then also still having some smart things to say about mm-hmm. how we glamorize and trivialize these things absolutely absolutely um well uh gentlemen god this has been a blast this has been uh, a a real load of fun uh if you are all uh okay to do this we have two little brief segments that we're going to do to to potentially wind down this little conversation put this to a close uh nathan you want uh, are, are we all good to do that or is there anything that somebody's like, no, oh my God, I got to talk about Randy again. Um, okay. All right. Nathan, why don't you tell us what the first order bit of business is? So we are taking it upon ourselves here at the fear of God to compile. Uh, and then once scream is wrapping up to um, definitively declare the ghost face kills hall of fame. Okay. So each podcast episode when we were talking about one of these films we uh as a group are going to look at uh, i'm going to list here for us in a second the ghost face kills important distinction not kills uh uniquely it is ghost face kills this also means so for instance um you know uh when reed and i were initially vetting this it's is it someone who has worn the mask itself no it is a person masked uh perpetrating the kill Okay, so um, decide just to make this as complicated as possible, or no, it's not that complicated. It's just I get it. It's as simple as possible. Yeah, someone dressed as Ghostface, right? With someone dressed as Ghostface and killed somebody. What if they have the mask on, but it's on the top of their head? Does that still count? Well, we haven't we haven't encountered that yet in '96 (laughs) or in this one. Uh, You know, so for instance, in in '96, uh, Sydney comes out of the closet with it on, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, so technically ghostface but she doesn't kill anybody then she does stab with an umbrella doesn't quite do the trick though so in this film the kills perpetrated by someone dressed as ghostface are omar in the bathroom okay he's hey he's doing his business 
He hears. Oh wow! Here's some here's some murmuring through the stall, and then Matt, you mentioned it earlier, gets that yeah. knife something straight through the cheek. The something, knife something straight there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> man, man, that movie it's yeah. ruined this movie. Uh, so Omar. Uh, and then Omar Epps is uh, is the actor, not the character's name, not Omar. Yeah. Uh, and then you got Jada in the theater, right in front of everyone, but no one knows it's happening because masks are everywhere. Uh, meanwhile, Casey's being killed on screen at the same time. Casey Becker, played by Heather Graham. Um, then you got Cece, played by Sarah Michelle Gellar. And at the sorority house, she's stabbed in the back twice. And then someone takes a prop dummy and tosses it over the balcony, you know? Um, so that's CC. Then poor Colder now for your boy, Randy Meeks. He's called oh. by the killer. Randy taunts him. The killer grabs him from the phone and uh, grabs him from the phone. See, this is what happens when you're know, typing messages back and forth and I can't focus while these little messages pop up. I've seen that movie. I know. <laughs> Let's talk about Scream 2. That's what we're here for. Uh, so <laughs> Randy, he's called by the killer. Randy taunts the killer. The killer grabs him from the van and stabs him inside of it. Uh, additionally, in this movie, who I called Laurel and Hardy, which are the two cops, <laughs> uh, slices Ghostface slices one of them's throat, and then he crushes the other one on the hood of the car, um, going too fast. Uh, last Ghostface kill in this movie is Hallie. She did all that work, all that positive stuff taught to climb over Ghostface in that car. Only get jumped out at from behind the giant pile of wood. What? Random, random giant pile of wood. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, they um, were in a construction zone. Okay. You it's know true. What? Just it's technicalities. True. Um, <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> it doesn't make any less uh, random visually on screen, cinematically at least. So, uh, Jerry, I'm going to start with you of yeah. your candidates here now everyone you um once one has been entered into the sorting hat you can you can vouch for it you can affirm it but then you get to select an alternate as well okay i'm going to pre-affirm whoever chooses cc because that one's great so pre-affirm okay. whichever one of you is choosing that one but i'm going with officer richards and how he gets final destination Oh, so, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The fact that he gets hit on the hood of the car and then has the pipe through his head, through into the car, into the back. Um, yeah, that one was that was pretty brutal and horrific. In indeed. 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 Um, James, OK. <laughs> Matt, what's, yeah, what's going to play? Uh, it's Phil Stevens in the bathroom. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Omar? Don't, don't put your yeah, don't put your face near the, uh, the stall door. Yeah, man, that's like bathroom etiquette 101. Yeah, you don't do it. No, you don't. (laughs) It reminds me. It reminds me of in Halloween 2018 uh, when we're going through the that ain't rights, and to me, in in a movie filled with just brutal kills, it's when the podcast lady, podcast girl, crawls on the public bathroom floor. Uh, It's like that's that ain't right. So yes, you should never. You should never put any unclothed surface of your body against any surface in a public bathroom you know it's just it's terrible run wild with that if you want um uh uh reed why don't you go and then i'll finish this off oh my gosh okay so this is very very difficult for me uh because i have two that i'm get one 
I know, but I'm really, really struggling with this. Um, they are pretty equivalent for me. Okay, um, I am gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with my heart on this one. Okay, uh, I am, I am gonna go ahead and cite Randy, only because it feels though, though I think the other one that I was warring against is a better, like actual death sequence and death, you know, moment. Uh, Randy's impact of being taken out when he is taken out, I cannot ignore. So, uh, so that is why I am going to select Randy, uh, the first OG from the original film to go out when he's taken out in the band. I was kind of uh, surprised he lasted on the board that long. Um, <laughs> I am going to submit, this would not have been a hard choice, even with what has been taken already. Uh, Maureen Evans played by Jada Pinkett Smith. I'm sorry, I got to get her name out of my mouth. Uh, right in front of everyone. Wow. Um, wow. But no one knows it's happening right in that theater. Uh, it is a it's a brutal scene. It's a brutal kill. It's an unsettling scene. And it is my vote for a Ghostface Kills Hall of Fame submission. I uh, When I wrote down all these nominations, uh, I did write Randy Meeks, and I, I couldn't help but write in the van down by the river. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, listen i okay i have to listen it's our show i'm gonna i'm gonna do this uh you guys can all vote me down because we only get one each but uh but we, we we're really gonna leave cc on the on the table we're really gonna leave we're not gonna nominate yes. no yes we are you Dude. there's four of us you get four uh, submissions otherwise uh, it's just I'm, like just throw them all in i'm shocked oh uh, okay no i will i will these follow are so much rules. better than that are you kidding? That's that scene is so great. She goes flying off well, the balcony. If we're about to litigate all of it, I would have put her above the cop. But you know, that, no, that I'm cop saying, thing, man. Like, he just he gets an impact. Right. Like, you see his head. We have done the exercise. Thing? Okay, we have right. performed our function. All right. Uh, all right. On the committee to build the Ghostface Kills Hall of Fame, you get one vote. This time. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Yep. No problem. No problem. All right. So we're gonna give some love. We're going to some love and lip service to CC, which is old Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, being Buffy the Vampire Slayed. But uh, these are our, your nominees from Scream 2. Uh, Officer Richards getting impaled by, uh, what do they call that, rebar or whatever that is? Uh, goes right through his face and just mushes him out. Uh, Phil Stevens through the bathroom stall. Uh, Randy Meeks in the van down by the river and Maureen Evans in front of God and everybody uh, getting taken out. Those are your nominees from Scream 2 for the kill, the Ghostface Kills Hall of Fame. Ta-da! So tune into the epilogue, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to find out what actually winds up making it in the top 10 across this franchise. Um, but in the meantime, uh, let's do our last bit of business and wind it all down, and that is the ye old fog meter, uh, which is our very specific metric of fear and God, where and we rate uh, these films on not necessarily their quality, but their heft, their gravity, how much they ask of you as a viewer. Um, so, uh, Matt, I'm going to start with you. Well acquainted with the fog meter. What would you give Scream 2 for? Actually, why don't you go ahead and tell us what your fear measurement would be and what your God measurement would be? Two different numbers, but what would you give Scream 2 for both of those measurements? Uh, is that a five? Correct. No, nope. this one's out of 10. Yeah, this one's out of 10. Yep. Uh, yeah, so for fear, um, I'd say probably maybe a four. Uh, you know, it doesn't really have any high points for me necessarily. Not a lot of tension for the most part outside of a couple scenes, uh, the Randy scene. 
And then for the God Meter, uh, as I mentioned, I think they introduced some really uh, uh, relevant and uh, important ideas, but don't really do much with them. So God Meter, probably go maybe about a three on that one. All right. Heard. Heard. Uh, JR, what would you give Scream 2 on the fear measurement and on the God measurement? Yeah, I'm not too far from Matt. I mean, fear, I'll also just say slashers in general don't rank high on the fear for me. I enjoy mm-hmm. them, but I don't find them scary. Uh, and Scream 2, like, again, with while there are some sequences that are pretty thrilling, they only work for me until I think about them for a second. And that, like, the cop car one isn't a great example of one for me where I'm like, mm-hmm. this isn't scary. And the movie ends if you just get that guy's gun and shoot him instead of yeah sure gently crawling over him you know mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. and so for me that yeah that takes it down to probably like a two two and a half you know all right um and i think too uh, just about nathan i think you you sort of alluded to this earlier but the entire denouement of scream is so good you know mm-hmm. with when it when it's revealed that it's Stu and billy and you've got that extended like fight with with sydney and all of that kind of stuff and yeah this one just felt pretty lackluster you know even with the reveals of you know billy's mom and all that so eh, like probably a two and a half i'd say and then same thing on the god meter like i think you i i agree with what matt said this movie this movie asks some interesting questions but it's so uninterested in the answers that i'm not convinced it asks them on purpose Mm, uh and so it's it, to me, that puts it into a place of when when we start talking about this stuff, I'm like, gosh, is this is this just us being thoughtful people, or is are we really having a conversation with the film, or or is the film you know playing in the Welcome mud and we're talking God, over yeah. its head? No, that's what I'm saying, though, right? There, <laughs> yeah. there, there are plenty of movies that y'all review that I think do want you to have these sure, conversations. Sure. Oh yeah, 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 right. Yeah. I just yep. don't. I'm not sure that Scream Scream Two might want to, but it might just be enjoying how clever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm probably yeah probably like a four maybe on on the on the god meter all right uh nathan what would you give it you can give me your fear and your god i'm gonna give a lot of grace on fear measure to i'm I'm still not gonna have a really high number but i I do think very fondly of that opening sequence uh and i do think it does a lot of heavy lifting for this film definitely and even you know, across the franchise is a real standout high watermark piece. Um, so that coupled with, I'm going to give a bit more weight to that cotton Sydney scene to the point that y'all, you know, sometimes you just sort of stumble into these interesting creative thoughts of like, I know where the character of cotton weary goes in this franchise and it's not very far. Um, but it could have been interesting based on the version of cotton we get in two mm-hmm. who is developing this i want revenge for what happened to me not not revenge i, I want what's mine compensation I want, mm-hmm. yes I, I want you know to feel like what i had taken away from me my name and all sorts like there's a world where you could have built that a little further over the franchise and it could have been real interesting sure. um and so the menace schreiber uh, brings to bear in this particular film couple with that opening scene i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a a four and a half i'm gonna go have these on that one right. um and then the god stuff like you know reed you're an intention uh, uh intensely thoughtful human being um i am not saying this movie doesn't have in it what you found i think this franchise has in it what you've found 
Um, I think this movie, uh, to JS point, kind of accidentally is like, oh wait, look, there was something interesting. See ya. Mm. You know, just kind of <laughs> just kind of drive bys things that it accidentally revealed along the way. And so for the sure. God metric, I'm gonna give a three on this, if only because any weight I might have given to its thoughts feel like a just fart in the wind by the end of the movie. It's like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> um okay well i i think i'm probably gonna rise a bit higher than than most of you mentioned though probably not too far afield on fear i think i pretty much agreed with everything that everybody said um i get a little bit more energy out of that opening scene and out of the uh the cop car crawl across scene um there's a couple of other things that i just i i find energizing uh, I feel like this film's energy is just kind of up. And so maybe not necessarily on the fear quotient, but that raises that level for me. I think I'm going to land on a five for fear for myself. And then the God stuff, I'm going to, I am going to call out, hang a lantern on it, put an asterisk by it. I am being deliberately generous because this viewing, I did not have to work for what I described to the point that we've all kind of made. I think, uh, you know, JR said it really well as well, that it's just like it, it's not interested in engaging that thought. I think it, it, it happened uh, kind of accidentally and uh, that it, it didn't even realize what it was dealing with. But still, I think even those accidents can be rooted in just good craft or at least the substance of talent. And so on that basis, I'm going to be generous with my God meter and give it a seven on that just because I found it interesting and energizing to think about those performance aspects and and found it mostly in the text of things i didn't have to imagine what happened outside the text of the film to get there but that means that we give uh scream 2 four out of ten on the fog meter which again does not necessarily rate its cleverness or its uh quality but rather just how much it asks of you and i think in that note uh four is is pretty on point but uh relevant would we all recommend Scream 2. Uh, JR, I'm going to go to you first. Would you recommend Scream 2? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to watch Scream 2 unless you're going to watch all of them, right? And this is sure. an indispensable indispensable franchise. Yes. Uh, if someone said, oh, you know what? I love horror. I've just never seen any of the Scream movies. Yeah. I would I would say, well, then what have you seen? <laughs> what, what are you watching <laughs> yeah like i mean yeah this so is this is this is iconic it's indispensable um yeah so i by itself i don't know maybe maybe not mm-hmm. but yeah as a part of one of the all-time great franchises that again as i said earlier does not have a bad movie in the bunch sure uh, sure. sure yeah awesome matt would you recommend it yes Love it. Love it so much. Uh, Nathan, do you recommend Scream 2? Um, I think the sum of its parts is definitely a, a weaker installment, um, even though some of its parts are quite strong. Um, I don't, I don't uh, uh, passionately recommend it. I would say, yeah, it's part of a whole. And I did enjoy it more this time than I remembered previously. So, you know, mm. for whatever that's worth. Yeah. Um, Piggybacking on what everybody said, of course I recommend it. Um, I for me it lands. I, I don't know that everybody would say this, but for me it lands near the top of my rankings. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend it. Uh, I think this is really really fantastic franchise, and I am having so much fun walking through it. Uh, Matt, we are. Thank you. Yes, go ahead. Well, there's one one last thing. We've talked around this, but the new cast is like mm-hmm. across the board terrific. Oh, they are great. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about in the recent films, right? 
No, I'm talking about no. in this film. He's talking about Scream Oh, two. in this one. Oh, in yes, two. absolutely. And yeah. again, I yeah, actually, casting, I like Jerry casting, O'Connell a lot in this one. Yeah, right. And casting someone like him, casting Joshua Jackson, right? Casting mm-hmm. um, Timothy Oliphant, Sarah Michelle Gellar, right? Some sure. of these are, yeah. uh, if we're being really uh, nitpicky, some of them feel like stunt casting. But <laughs> you're casting great stunt people, so go ahead. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that contributes to the energy of the film. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a very this is a very easy film for me to watch just because yeah. that energy level rises so much. Like yep. if, if I was flipping through channels and popped on this halfway through it, I would probably finish it through to the end. Yep, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's really, 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 really great. Um, I have loved so much talking with you guys about this. Uh, JR, thank you for being here. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Nathan, thank you as always. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, no surprises here. Uh, next week, we are continuing on in this run of Scream Oween, and we are going to Scream Three. Uh, this is the third time's the charm. We'll see. We'll see what happens with Scream Three. Um, but uh, indeed, we are going to be going to Scream Three next week. Patrons can acquaint yourself with the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Eight, which is what we will be discussing, but uh, but more importantly, the third film in the Scream franchise. Thank you all so much again. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. In that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Thank you again, Matt. Thank you again, JR. Thank you as always, Nathan. And thank you, listeners. We will see you next week. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. <laughs>